Today we're going to be in John chapter 3. Now, the last time we saw Jesus' really first miracle and first what we could characterize as his first act of discipline, and today we're going to see one of the most important chapters concerning the new spiritual birth. And questions, what does it mean to be saved? What is salvation? How do I get saved? Am I saved? Am I going to heaven? How do I know if I'm going to heaven? So these are really important questions, and Jesus really answers them in this chapter. And I really hope that you enjoy uh, learning about it as much as I enjoyed studying it. So starting with verse 1. It says, There was a man of the Pharisees named Nicodemus, a ruler of the Jews. This man came to Jesus by night and said to him, Rabbi, We know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs that you do unless God is with him. So Nicodemus is a Pharisee. That means he's from a strict religious order. Man followed the law. They were very meticulous about God's word. It was memorized. And he was also a ruler, which means he was probably of the Sanhedrin, which was a 70-member governing body of the Jews. And the only way I can make a... uh, an analogy today is to almost say like these were a bunch of superior court judges. They had a lot to say. They had a lot of say. Except in this particular time, there was a marriage between so-called church and state or synagogue and state. So there was a, um, the law, the law of Moses that was uh, spoken about, that was carried out, as well as uh, you know, civil, criminal, and ceremonial law. So Nicodemus comes to Jesus at night. Nick at night over here. Right? <laughs> And the question is why? Well, he's very successful. And I love to articulate how to put yourself in the shoes of these historical people that lived so it really broadens our understanding. This guy has everything he could possibly want. He's probably wealthy. Uh, He's the who's who in the up-and-coming leaders. Uh, This guy couldn't ask for anything more in the temporal world. However, Jesus was a very polarizing figure. Now, polarizing isn't always a bad thing, depending on how you're polarizing. When Jesus came, he said, listen, don't sit on the fence anymore. Make a decision for God or for the world. So he's a polarizing figure. And Nicodemus, you know, he's got some questions and he's searching. And it just goes to show that today you could have everything in the world and still be searching. You could be accomplished. You could be a CEO. You could be wealthy. And you find yourself... I still have questions. I still feel empty inside. I still, I'm not completely happy. What is it that I'm lacking? But the, I'll tell you the end of the story with Nicodemus before we actually continue through this, and it's really a great portion. What we find is that Nicodemus, he grows, he matures, and he eventually, in front of his peers, talk about career suicide, in John chapter 7, he stands up for Jesus. And he says, you know, well, we'll get to that in John chapter 7. And in John chapter 19, after Jesus' death, Nicodemus brings very costly spices to help to anoint the body afterwards. So I believe that he does, at some point, become born again to God. Now, if we take chapter 2 into account, which we covered last Sunday, there's a swell of interest about Jesus, and Nicodemus wanted to know more. And you might find that in your own life, that you may have friends and family. You might have brought them to church today that they have questions. They want to know about Jesus. They want to know about eternal life. They want to know about heaven. And God may put you in a a situation where you get to answer those questions. And that's really honorable. I mean, that to me is exciting. It does it for me. To know that I'm a part of God's plan. 
a small part, but I'm still a part. I fit in somewhere in life. Not only do I have purpose for my own life that I know God, but now I can help lead somebody else to Christ. I mean, that's just an awesome thing. So Nicodemus asked the question, if you catch this, he says, we know. He didn't say I know. He said we know. Most likely he is speaking for other Pharisees uh, that have questions as well. So I'm, re- I'm representing a small group of us that are really curious about you. I know we have the high priest. I know we have our leaders, but you're different, and we want to know more. And we know that only for you to be able to do these things, God is with you. They didn't have the pi- he didn't have the picture, but he wants to know more how everything fits into place. Verse 3, Jesus answered and said to him, Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. Notice Jesus doesn't, well, Nicodemus kind of makes a statement, doesn't necessarily ask a question. Maybe he was moving towards a question. But Jesus answers the man's needs. He searches right into his soul, and he knows what this man needs. He tells him something totally different, and Jesus often did that. He would be asked a question, and he would just go off in a different direction. Wait, wait, Jesus, let's focus here. I didn't ask you that question. But see, he's God. He's the son of God. He's the Lagos. He's the mouthpiece of God. He doesn't tell us what we want to hear. He tells us what we need to hear. And unfortunately, we live in a society where we just want to be told what we want to hear. And sometimes we even choose our friends like that. We'll choose friends that don't challenge us, that don't convict us, that don't convince us, that don't try to show us something different from the path that we're taking. Almost a kind of lie-to-me mentality. A very, we live in a very plastic society, Right? However, God will always tell us what we need to hear, not necessarily what we want to hear. And you have to ask that same question this morning. If you don't know God and you came here today and you're hearing Jesus' teachings, it's, it's it, plain and simple. You may have to ask yourself, why am I here? And as I'm listening to this, am I prepared to go as far as God's word will take me? Right? So, and I was like that for years, I got to tell you, before I became a Christian, um, I remember even in college hearing it and, and desiring it and going to some small Bible studies. You know, I would be partying and have the college lifestyle, which wasn't, wasn't a good lifestyle. You know, it was my choice. But then I would also seek the things out of God. And, and over the years, it had an effect on me. And I knew at some point there was no turning back. I learned so much about God, my purpose, his desire for me that eventually I became born again. You've got to end up there. You, know, you can't keep dabbling with it, and, and you know it's the truth, but there are other forces maybe strong in your life, but eventually you have to make the right decision. So, term born again. You see this, this banter, and I call it a friendly banter between the two. Uh, he, Jesus says, you can't see the kingdom of God unless you're born again spiritually. So what does that mean? Born again. Well, if you look up the Greek, it can mean born again or born from above. Some of these terms have nuances in the meaning, but the end result is still the same. It's a God thing. It's God that does it to us. It's God who regenerates our soul and makes us alive spiritually. It's all him. Two, you cannot see. This Greek word is idu. We can't see the kingdom of God. You can also say we can't know the kingdom of God. We can't see figuratively the kingdom of God 
unless we're born again. That which is spirit is spirit, that which is flesh is flesh, and we're going to get that, to that point. But there's a, a great chasm. It's a, a chasm that can't be filled by anything material. It's this huge gulf between the temporal, the worldly, and the spiritual, and God, and heaven. And only Christ can bridge that chasm, and you, you can get from one side to the other. Four, Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter a second time into his mother's womb and be born? Now, I don't believe he was being smart. You know, I don't, I don't think he was being a wise guy. I believe he just didn't know. Jesus, I don't understand what you're saying. We understand as believers, but we've been believers for a while, and God has opened our eyes and shown us things. This guy is a teacher. He's accomplished, and he doesn't get it. What are you saying, Jesus? I don't, you can't mean physically born again. So, he has no idea, but he sticks with it. And I got to tell you, in the beginning, I knew nothing. I would call my friends, it would be 11 o'clock at night, and I'd be like, ah, maybe they're still up, you know. I'd call them up. I just read this in the Bible. I really don't understand this. I don't get this parable. Listen, I'm trying to go to sleep. I got work in the morning. I'll call you back tomorrow, you know what I'm saying? Then I would call another friend. I had to get the answer. I didn't know. I was confused too, but... The Lord, it's just, you know, it's like being a baby, being born again. As a baby, a baby doesn't know anything. They don't know how to talk. They don't know how to walk. They make noises. They stumble around in the, in the, in the darkness. But eventually, they, they pick it up, right? So something as glorious as the treasures of the kingdom are certainly worth patiently waiting for. Now, let's ask you this. Well, I'll tell you this. As a new believer... If you're a new believer here, or maybe you're a backslidden believer, and maybe you've maybe forgotten a lot of things, and you're starting to walk again, give it time. It's not going to happen overnight. It's not going to happen in a few weeks. I know we live in a microwave society, but that doesn't apply to the things of God. He needs to show us and, and wean us on the milk first, and eventually we grow our spiritual teeth, and we can chew the deeper things of God and swallow and digest and assimilate it into our spiritual souls. Give it time. I mean, in life, what are we willing to apply ourselves to? I mean, we live in a very vain society. We're so concerned about our looks in American culture. And these things are vain. You know, the, the older you get, <laughs> whether it's the body or the face or the hair, you're fighting harder and harder to make yourself look the way you did 20 years ago or 40 years ago. And I got to tell you, bad news this morning, it's tough. You know, so every, every decade of my life, I notice, yeah, I'm not 20 anymore. So if we're willing to put things into ourselves that are just vain and don't last long, could we at least give a little bit of an effort to the things of God, which are eternal and last forever? Jeremiah 29, 13, God says, you will seek me and find me when you search for me with your whole heart. Oh, I just, I looked, you know, I did, I read a passage and I don't feel anything. I'm not tingling inside. Are you seeking him with a whole heart? God's not cheap. He's not going to cheapen himself for us. We apply ourselves to so many things in the world. If we don't apply ourselves to the things of the Lord, well, guess what? He says it right here. It's got to be a whole heart. It's got to be, I desire you, Lord. Yes, I am interested. I heard what that crazy pastor said this morning, but I'm thinking about it, Lord, and I do want to, I want that relationship that so many in this church have with you. But you've got to seek him with your whole heart. Verse 5. Jesus answered, 
Most assuredly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is spirit. So Jesus elaborates. He gets deeper into these claims. He gets deeper into this postulating that he's doing with Nicodemus. And I see that not unlike discipleship. You know, you learn easy things first as a new believer. And I'll often talk to uh, new believers and, and just say to them, listen, this is, this is that stage where everything's wonderful and you're learning and you're growing, but then it's going to become the temptation stage. Then the devil's going to try to get to you and use something in your life to pull you away from him. You know, and then things get a little deeper. Your, your faith has to become stronger. You know, you don't have that little baby faith anymore in the beginning. It's not going to carry you through. It has to become deeper. So Jesus, even in his teachings, he gave him a little bit, a little bit, taste it, Nicodemus, put it on your palate, now chew it, now swallow it. So he, he starts to give him more and more information. Two requirements. Number one, to be born of water. And, and there's a lot of, some say baptism, although baptism is really a symbolism of death, not birth. Uh, so I wouldn't, I wouldn't agree with that here. Uh, some say born of water means born through the washing of the word. You could make a case for that, and it's really not going to change your faith or your belief system. But I really believe when he's saying that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit, and never the twain shall join. There's a separation between the flesh and the spirit. So we are all, as I look out here, everybody here had a mother, okay? Um, we were born of water. We passed through amniotic fluid. But we also need, because we're dead in our trespasses and sin when we come into this world, Ephesians 2, 1 tells us that, we also need to be born of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. At some point in time, the true believer will be sealed with the Holy Spirit. 2 Corinthians 1, 22. By virtue of the fact that we were born physically is not going to get us into heaven. That which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. Flesh and bones will not inherit the kingdom of heaven. There's got to be a spiritual conversion. We have to be made alive spiritually. Now in verse 6, um, again, that second spiritual birth is necessary for salvation. Uh, verse 5, let's go to verse 5. He says, you cannot enter the kingdom of heaven unless you're born again. So first he said, you cannot see it. You cannot understand it. Now he's saying you cannot enter it. Right? No, you can't do anything with it in, in a physical state. And that's really a pretty grim prospect if you think about it. But there's good news. We're going to get to the good news. This is a great portion of scripture. And it's an uplifting portion of scripture because it's not an exclusive club. God offers this to everyone. So let me just say that before I even get to the end. There's nobody here that should be excluded, that can be excluded. If we're excluded, it's because we exclude ourselves and say, no, I don't want what God has. But it's offered to everyone. Oh, you don't know my past. I don't need to know. God knows it. And Jesus died for those sins. So whatever that you think is going to stop you, it's not. It's not. But this is a complete enigma to the unspiritual soul. And I find it fascinating that so many in the world that are unregenerate, they're not born again. They don't claim to be Christians. They write books about God. Well, how does that happen? You can't know it. You can't understand it. You can't enter it, but you're writing books about it. And, and there's all these authors. There's all these books on God. And so many people are confused. 
and actually led down the wrong path because it's, a, it's, a, it's not a, a true picture of who God is. Be careful. Be careful of some of these authors. And I would say even as a believer, even if you read a book from a believer or a preacher, if you don't know the word very well, make sure that's your primary uh, diet before you get into these other books and these other pursuits because people give you perspectives from all over the map. We have a, a library and a lot of good books in there, but I would say that if you're a new believer, focus on God's word right now. Understand what he's telling you in his love letter to you. And some try to enter, again, that which is flesh is flesh, that which is spirit is spirit. There are some, like in the Tower of Babel, where men, long time ago, thousands of years ago, built these ziggurats, which you can still see uh, across the seas, these big towers, and they would wrap around and around and get higher and higher, and men literally wanted to get to God by their own means. It isn't going to happen. Jesus said in John chapter 14, I am the way, the truth, and the life. Nobody gets to the Father except through me. So you can build the tower as high, you can keep, make it a lifelong pursuit. Keep going into the sky, you're never going to get to his abode. Because it isn't a height thing, it's a spiritual thing. And religion is a way that men try to get to God, but they fail. God is looking for a relationship with us. Verse 7. Do not marvel that I said to you, you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes, and you hear the sound of it, but cannot tell where it comes from and where it goes. So is everyone who is born of the Spirit. Do not marvel, Nicodemus. Don't try to wrap your mind around it. Don't be amazed. Don't intellectualize it. Don't try to pick it apart. You wouldn't understand it, right? Now, he uses the parable of the birth, and again, a parable is very simple. It's a physical illustration that Jesus used in the observable world to illustrate spiritual truth. So he would take things, uh, farming examples, uh, wedding, whatever was going on at the time, and he would use that and say, just like this, just like you see this. Now let me explain a, or illustrate a spiritual truth to you. So he goes from the birthing process to a parable of the wind. Now, what's fascinating is the word for spirit and wind are the same word, pneuma, where we get the word pneumatic from in the English. I can see Jesus talking to Nicodemus quietly. It's a hot climate back then, and as the evening comes, it cools down. There's a nice breeze that blows through. And I could see as Jesus is, maybe has his arm around Nicodemus, and he's loving him, and he wants to show him the things of God that all of a sudden a, a wind, gust of wind blows and he says, taps Nicodemus and goes, you see the wind? You don't see the wind, but you do see the trees and the branches swaying in the, the wind and the leaves blowing off in certain direction. It's the same way with the spirit. You can't see the wind. You can see the effects of the wind. You can't see the spirit, but you can see the effects of the Holy Spirit's working in people. It's, it's observable, okay? And just as the wind blows and can be a powerful force altering many things in its path, and we see those storms and they're very powerful, you still, you don't see it, but you see the, the cows and sometimes just being lifted up off the ground, the houses, cars, very powerful force. You can see the effects of it, but you can't actually see what's causing it. And it's the same thing 
with the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit will change a person's life. It will be noticeable. Now, if you're a new believer, don't freak out. I don't see a big change in my life. First of all, those around you will see changes. And in the beginning, they may be subtle changes. And that's how God is a gentleman. He doesn't say, okay, you're born again. All right, this is boot camp, buddy. Let's go. Do some push-ups for me. I want you to build that church, and I want you to go to Africa. He doesn't do that to us. He's a gentleman. It's slow. It's, it's gentle. You know, just like in a relationship. When you have a relationship with a person, it starts with just discussions. It starts with getting together for lunch and sending cards to each other, calling each other on the phone. Eventually, you get to marriage, hopefully. I mean, that's the goal, right? But it's, it's a relationship. You, somebody who comes on too strong, you kind of get freaked out about, don't you? Well, God doesn't do that either. It's like, oh, he's, he's weird, this guy. He's always stalking me, you know, and... <laughs> God doesn't stalk us, you know? He's, he's just very gentle and very loving. But this is what you have. And 10 years will go by, and maybe each year you don't see a difference in yourself. But when you look back from year one, you go, wow, I'm not the same person that I was. How did that happen? It was gentle and it was subtle. Holy Spirit is very powerful, but the Holy Spirit won't overpower us. And... Understand Jesus' parable of the wineskins. The old system of religion, tradition, you know, rote memorization, those were the old wineskins. They were brittle. And when the new wine of the Holy Spirit was poured in, the expansion, because you can't contain the Holy Spirit, it would break those wineskins, Jesus said, and the wine would be spilled out. We need to understand being the new wineskin. Instead of us telling God what to do, we make ourselves open and pliable to what he wants to do in our lives. So there's a lot there. Now he says this, you must be born again. Notice we're not given any other options. You must be born again. Now let me add something to that. Would God tell us to do anything that we couldn't do? No. You must do this or you can't get to heaven. But I can't do that. There is, an, there is a door that's open for us. There's a door that he wants us to walk through. There's a relationship he wants to have with us, but we must be born again. I personally, some of you may think, oh, Pastor Joe, he's a nice guy. He's so friendly. You know, he smiles all the time. But let me tell you something. I don't care how long I've been a pastor. I am not standing before the Lord on my own merits. You know, if, if I think, start preaching that stuff, get, take me for a psych evaluation. It is not happening. You know, there's nothing that I can do to get myself into that door. It's got to be all God in my life. You know, I need Jesus Christ and what he did on the cross. So we must be born again, meaning that there is a way for all of us to get there. Verse 9, Nicodemus answered and said to him, how can these things be? Jesus answered and said to him, are you the teacher of Israel and you do not know these things? Most assuredly, I say to you, we speak what we know and testify what we have seen, and you do not receive our witness. Now, Nicodemus, again, take the most accomplished person that you could think in our society. How humbling for he or she to go before Jesus and to receive these teachings and not get offended. Oh. He could, I mean, did he say at any point, you know what, Jesus, I don't like your tone with me. 
That was a little sarcastic. I am the teacher of Israel. He didn't do that. He came to Jesus like a child. And Jesus said that we can't even get into the heaven in another scripture unless we come in the, like, the humility of a child. I, I did a funeral uh, this week of a man who was very accomplished. Actually, when I started reading all the things he did in the obituary, I didn't even know. The head of this, the founder of this, I mean, I was like blown away. Man was very accomplished, very talented um, in the world. When he came to me, he came to me as a child. That's how I remember him. He would ask me questions, no pride, just wanted to know about God, just wanted to know how he could get to heaven, right? Pride is a, is a, is a very hard thing. Pride is something that will hinder us from the things of God. I, I'm watching, or my wife and I were watching a show on this war between physicists, some names you might recognize, Stephen Hawking and Leonard Susskind. And they're having this argument, this war, and they keep going to these conferences and trying to prove the other one wrong, all these mathematical equations about what happens in a black hole to matter and information. One believes, well, it's, it's maintained. The other one believes that um, it just disappears. Let me tell you something. If you get too close to a black hole, it's over anyway. Trust me. <laughs> you're done. So, and they don't believe in God. And they, they worship God's toys. They worship his creation, but they won't worship the one who made everything. And these guys are amazing. They devote their whole lives to these theoretical things that will probably never happen. It's sad. And, he, and they're not young, and one's not well. You've got to pray for them. Pride is, is a brutal, brutal thing. Verse 10, he says, Are you the teacher of Israel, and you don't know these things? I love the Lord's frankness. But you know what? To whom much is given, much is required. Again, this was a man of stature in the community. Now, I love, and I can't wait, I just love this whole gospel. I love the whole Bible. But there's just some things that I, I just enjoy, I want to teach, and I just pray, Lord, help me not to mess it up. But uh, the woman at the well in chapter 4 is really exciting, too, because he's much more gentle with her than he is with Nicodemus. And you can see the difference. Because Nicodemus should know better. He should know some of these things. He should see the symbolism in what God was showing in the Old Testament, some of the prophecies. The woman at the well, he's very gentle with her. And it's not until she starts revealing things about his life that he, then he eventually shows her where she's gone wrong in life. But um, you can see the difference there. It also shows that Nicodemus, and, and as, as you read about this man, you can say, well, he's a decent man. You can almost see yourself hanging out with Nicodemus. He seems like a nice guy, doesn't he, from what we know about him? But he wasn't saved. He was religious and still lost. And a lot of people today are religious and lost because they're telling God how they want to get into heaven in religion. He's saying, no, I already, I already set it up for you. It's a relationship. And that's why that I would prefer that you would, instead of memorizing scriptures, and I got to tell you, I don't have any chapters memorized. I memorize scriptures here and there. Um, you know, I hope I don't get a failing grade because as a pastor, I don't memorize whole chapters, but I can go through the scripture, Old Testament, New Testament, and go to any of these chapters and basically tell you what God is saying there. So hear me out. I'm not saying it's, I think it's great to memorize scriptures. If you memorize chapters, I love to hear it when some do that. It kind of blows me away. But I would prefer if you were to do one or the other, that you would understand what God is saying to you. What is God saying to his people? What is God saying to his people today? What does he want from me as an individual? To me, I would hold that far higher than rotely memorizing things and not understanding 
what they mean. The devil has the scriptures memorized too. He knows it far better than we do, but he doesn't use it to God's glory. Verse 11, he says, we speak, we know, we testify, we've seen our witness. And I believe that this is a picture of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Is it any wonder that in the law, in the Old Testament, he said all things would be established by two or three witnesses? Three, right? The picture of the triune nature of God. Twelve. If I have told you earthly things and you do not believe, how will you believe if I tell you heavenly things? No one has ascended to heaven, but he who came down from heaven, that is, the Son of Man who is in heaven. This is a great point that, you know, Nicodemus, you're saying that you don't understand. I'm trying to explain it to you. Before I get you to much bigger things, we've got to start with foundations, Nicodemus. We've got to talk about a basic relationship with the Lord. We have to talk about what it means to be saved. And then when I start telling you these really heavy spiritual things and and really start to reveal the nature of God, you can get it. But you, you see this progression right? Um, There's going to be, to a new believer, if I sit with them, there's going to be certain things that I'm just going to leave out for a while because they can't can't wrap their mind around it. It's unfathomable. I couldn't in the beginning. Just love God. Just enjoy him. Wow, you're saved. Yeah, you know that. Isn't it great that God loves you so much? Let's just start with that. So we go from the simple building blocks to the bigger things um, that he eventually runs into. And furthermore, You can read all the religions you want in the world. Jesus actually came from heaven. He came to show us the way. He's like, I've been there. (laughs) I made that place. (laughs) So I could could tell you every inch of that place because myself and and the Father and the Holy Spirit, we designed it. So he said, listen, the best way to understand the things of heaven, Buddha was, was deified when he died, but he didn't go around saying, I'm God, I came from heaven. Never did that. People worship Buddha. It's a shame. That's not what he was, he came for. And, and a lot of these religions, listen, f- find the one who actually came from there and can explain these spiritual truths to you. 14. And I'm going to get to uh, 16 and 17. I don't want to rush this. I'm going to cut it off there. We'll talk about what it means. And then next Sunday, we'll get to the other half of the chapter. So 14. And as Moses lifted up the serpent in the wilderness, even so must the Son of Man be lifted up that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. Now, for this, you have to understand Numbers 21, and I'll give you a brief synopsis. Moses gave the law. Moses was a, a man of God, God's, one of God's mightiest prophets. Moses, in number 21, what happened? It's another time where the children of Israel complained and grumbled against God, were insolent towards God. So God sent venomous serpents among the camp, and they bit people, and they started to die. Well, at some point, he provided a remedy for these uh, serpents, and it was for Moses to take this uh, serpent, a bronze image or rendition of a serpent, and lift it up on the pole and be pretty much, I guess, in the center of the camp. And then when everybody looked at that serpent, they would be healed of these snake bites kind of interesting. It's a type. Uh, this is what we call typology, something that kind of is in the, new, the Old Testament where it has been fulfilled in the New Testament. So what you have here is a situation where a serpent was a symbol of sin. 
And bronze was a symbol of judgment in the Old Testament. A lot of symbolism here. So when that serpent was lifted up, the people were healed. But it was a picture of sin being judged. And their sin was being judged. So this is a a, a precursor to the Lord being lifted up. Now check this out. Before we get freaked out by the analogies and say, oh, that's weird. So Jesus is like the serpent. He means sin. No, check this out. 2 Corinthians 5.21 tells us that for he, meaning the father, made him, meaning the son, who knew no sin. So you're telling me that Jesus the son had no idea what sin was? No. There's different Greek words for no. This one is an intense word, meaning familiarity. Jesus didn't dabble with sin. He didn't sin. So he had no familiarity with sin. So God made him, who had no familiarity with sin, he never sinned, to be sin for us, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. That is one of the most powerful scriptures in the entire Bible. So what Jesus did was when he was lifted up on that pole, he took the sin of the world upon him. And we keep getting it from different directions. Now we just got it from 2 Corinthians 5. There was an identity thing that took place. There was a change of identity. Identity fraud was committed when Jesus was on the cross because I got to take him... And, and his identity for me so I can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And Jesus took my identity as a sinner, all my sin. So when God judged that sin on that cross, I was made alive and I got to skate away. I got to skate away from justice. So did all of you. So the serpent on the pole was a type of Christ being lifted up on the cross and being judged for our sin. Only God can do stuff like this. So what do we see? Well, God provides the way to salvation. Number one, in Numbers 21, he did it physically. They didn't die. In the New Testament with Christ, he did it spiritually. We don't die in eternal death, being conscious in hell and judgment. Jesus paid for those sins. And the word that strikes me in this whole section is remedy. The Lord has a remedy for all of our problems. Are you not saved? There's a way to salvation. You can, just t- you can take that way to salvation. Are you rejected? Did you grow up rejected in life? People rejected you and you just, you're, ha- you're having issues with trust with other people? Well, God accepts you. Check this out. You want to talk about rejection? He rejected his son on the cross when he was filled with the sin of the world so that you could be accepted. You see all these antonyms that come into place. Are you hopeless? Do you feel like you have no hope in life? Well, Christ gives you hope. Not only do you get eternal life, but he wants your life here to be abundant as well. The Bible's clear about that. What is it? A destructive lifestyle? I can't stop doing this to myself. Well, maybe you don't understand the true meaning of how worthy you are. People who destroy themselves with drugs and and, um, these dysfunctional lifestyles don't understand that they actually have this purpose, that God believes that you're important. Yeah, but there's, now what is it, seven billion people on the earth now? How, how could he? He can. <laughs> he can find a needle in a haystack. You know, he can number the hairs on your head. For some of us, it's easier to do than others. <laughs> but, but the bottom line is, I'm kind of getting back here, you know, further back. But the bottom line is that Whatever the problem is in your life, he has the remedy. I know it sounds oversimplified, doesn't it? But he's God. He can do that. So keep that in mind. See, this snake on the pole, check this out. 
Do you ever wonder, snakes lifted up, a lot of people are getting healed. A lot of people are still dying. Why? Bob, Bob, I'm better. All you got to do is look at the snake. God said so. Don't bother me about that stupid snake. I'm dying over here. So how many people died in that camp because they refused to look at the remedy that God provided for them? Well, let's make a parallel. How many people today are living in horrible situations, maybe talking about suicide, and you tell them, there's an answer. It's Christ. He died for your sins, and he wants to give you abundant life. Yeah, but I'm just going to end it all. No, but listen to me. Look at the cross. They don't even want to hear what you have to say. Isn't that a shame? So just as it was back then, there are those today that there's the remedy, there's the answer, and, and they don't want to take it. And that's really sad. I have to tell you, if you, I don't know, you guys come into church, I don't know who's a Christian, who's not. I mean, I know some of you are. I don't know all of you. If you came into this church today and you're struggling with any of these issues, we don't always talk about this. This is just where we are in the scripture. We go through the entire Bible. This message is for you, whoever you are, however many of there that you are today. I just was so excited to preach it, but... If you just walked in today and, and this is what you hear and, and it applies to you, boy, don't fight it. Give in to him. He's a loving God. Right? I, you know, I, listen, we don't want to face judgment without an advocate. That's not a good place to be. So let's look at this four-way nexus between us and God. And let me, let me expand it a little bit with the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. You have Christ's finished work on the cross. From where we are, it's something that happened in the past. So the Son is involved. You have the Bible says that the Father draws us unto salvation. So the Father is at work uh, as well. And three, we come in with our faith and trust in that sacrifice that he provided, that remedy, so that we could have eternal life. And four, the Holy Spirit, the third person of the Godhead, seals us with himself. How does he do it? I don't know. Gives us power to live an abundant life, gives us power to affect other people's lives. And to do supernatural things that the Bible speaks about, the gifts of the Spirit, amazing. But you see this four-way nexus between us and God. It's a relationship. It works. But, uh, excuse me, God wants to walk with you. You are his children. I am his child. But he gave us something called free will. And unfortunately, that free will oftentimes keeps us from him. But it's our choice. It doesn't have to. It doesn't have to. Verse 16. John 3:16. For God so loved the world. He didn't just love the world. He so loved the world. Now in the Greek that word world is cosmos and it's always a picture of rebellion, the rebellious world. So he didn't just love good people. He loved the worst of the worst. <laughs> you know, why do, why do we come to God, the Bible says? Because he first loved us. You start tying all these scriptures together and you're like, are you serious, Pastor Joe? For me personally, I'm serious. Because it says it right here. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him, all, any, every, you know, you start looking at those synonyms in the semantic range of the Greek. Whoever believes in him should not perish, damnation, judgment, but have eternal, everlasting life. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, 
but that the world through him might be saved. And we're going to read later or next Sunday that the world's already condemned. All we like sheep have gone astray, the Bible says. The world is in rebellion. It's in sin. It's separated from God. It's already condemned. Christ didn't come to condemn the world. He came to save the world because the world is already condemned. I was already condemned. 20-something years old, I came to the Lord. I was done. I was toast. I didn't have a, you know, it was just over for me. But I chose him. And now I've passed from death unto life. And that promise is available to you as well. So you see this crescendo, this, this increase in tempo, tempo from verse 1 all the way up to 16 and 17. I want to read one other scripture to you, and then we're going we're gonna to wrap it up. Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. It says, For by grace, unmerited favor, something we don't deserve, you, me, we have been saved through faith, and not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not of works, lest anyone should boast. Amen. By grace, we have been saved through faith. We don't deserve it. I don't deserve it. The more I read the scripture, the more I understand the scripture, the more I realize I didn't deserve any of this. Okay? But I have been saved by grace through faith. It is the gift of God. What is the gift of God? The antecedent is grace. So grace is that gift of God. And it's amazing. And in my mind, I have a you know, vivid imagination. I just picture in heaven all these incredible blessings, including salvation, just they're kind of being held back. And there's like a pull string, you know? And when I believe, it's the vehicle for that grace to be showered on me. When I believe, it's like pulling that string and all this stuff comes and it showers me. Number one with salvation, abundant life, spiritual gifts, being able to help others and bring them to Christ, being able to pray and move mountains, right? Grace through faith. It's the gift of God. And that's why nobody can boast, because it's all God. We didn't do it. I didn't earn it. I'm not working for it. I'm not trying to pay it back. It's too expensive. I could be here for eternity. I still can't pay it back. So this is what's going on today. This is the rest of the story. Nicodemus, he had some pretty good qualities, just like many that you may know today or even yourself. But he would be eternally lost had he not put his faith in Jesus Christ. Nicodemus was a Jew. He was of the chosen people. But Jesus made it clear to him that whosoever, all, Jew, Gentile, anyone that God created can be saved. Nicodemus was a teacher. He had knowledge. For the term knowledge is power. Not in God's economy. God's looking for humility. He's looking for us to come to him like little children. Nicodemus, maybe they thought he was a good guy, people around him. The Bible says that no one is good, not one. None seeks after him. The, um, Nicodemus was a man who studied the law. But God tells us that it's really by grace. We just read that, that we're saved through faith. Nicodemus was a religious man, but the Bible tells us that it's about a relationship. And sometimes with religion, we hold God at a distance. We don't want too much God. I'm just going to do these things and memorize these things, and that's good. That's all I want of God. God says, I want much more from you than that. I want a relationship with you. In Matthew 7, Jesus speaks, and we've covered this, 21 through 23. Jesus talks about those who do religious things, those who do amazing things, casting out demons, you know, uh, all these, these, these things. And Jesus says, I will say to them, depart from me, I never knew you. That's not a good thing to hear when you're standing in front of the Lord. I just want you to know that. 
But, but they were able to do these things. Yes, the name of God is powerful. The name of Jesus is powerful. But do you know him? And Jesus is going to say, I don't know those people. I mean, he knows them. He has intellectual knowledge, but he doesn't know them. He doesn't have familiarity with them. I'll leave you with this. There was a, a woman that I know who, she just told me with tears in her eyes recently, this awesome testimony. She said, I was a denominationalist. She said, I had my charity. I went to church. I prayed once in a while. I read once in a while. She goes, I thought I was a Christian. And then as I started reading the Bible, I started learning things about myself. And she got up out of the seat and she came forward to receive Jesus. She goes, now I know I'm a Christian. I know I'm a child of God. And that blew me away because some of you, I don't know you that well and you say you're a Christian, I assume, I don't, I don't voir dire you, I don't give you the third degree and interrogate you, you know, are you really a Christian? You say it, hey, that's great, brother, come on, you know, give me a hug, it's good to see you. But that blew me away. What are you relying on? That you're basically good? That you read some book? Oh, pastor, I don't have to listen to you, I read some book by some guy and I think I'm good. What are you relying on? Are you religious? Are you part of the Christian culture? Is it because you go to a Calvary and we read the Bible here? That's, none of those are, you can add them all up. They amount to nothing. What are you relying on? Are you born again of the Holy Spirit? Because the Bible says that you must be born again. Now, we, the church, I have put you in a position where you've read the writings and the teachings of Jesus. And you can't leave this place now and unlearn what you heard. I'm not going to believe it. I'm going to erase it from my mind. It's just like saying that the pink elephant doesn't exist. I say, don't think about the pink elephant. It's all you're going to think about is that pink elephant now for the next, I don't know how long. You can't unlearn what you learned today. God wants you to receive it, but you also have to act on it. You have to act on it. And in a few moments, I'm going to give you an opportunity to receive Christ as your Lord and Savior. As the Lord ordained that serpent on a pole, that was his doing. We don't question it. We don't try to overanalyze it. It's what he ordained. He also ordained his son as the means for us to be born again of the spirit and have that everlasting life. So I just would ask you that you would, you know, some religious groups will come to your house and they'll, they'll get you fired up and they'll say, if you feel warm and cuddly inside, then that must mean that this is right. I'm not going to do that to you. It isn't about feelings. However, if you are wrestling right now with what's been said, and you're considering it, and there's an inner turmoil, then that's definitely the Lord trying to get a hold of you. Because if I read to you something that was not true, a story, fictitious, I could move you, but you wouldn't be wrestled to make a decision. So understand that and keep that in mind as we go to prayer. Let's pray. Father in heaven, Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And Lord, you provided that way of salvation. You did it for the Israelites and you did it for us. And you want us to trust you. You want us to believe you. You want us to